Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Three Bid League podcast. Matt, the regular season is over. And if you look at Joe Lenardi's colorful brackets, the Dayton Flyers are a one seed. And not because of power conference bias. Power conference bias? The A-10's a power eight conference. Did you miss that from this last week? I'm not sure where you're going here. Well, they are above 500 in their conference, so that means that Joe Lenardi is automatically biased against them. <laughs> I'm sorry, for them. That's true. Yeah, it's exciting times. Dayton finishes off the undefeated season with a huge win at Rhode Island and then finishing it off on senior night against GW. We got to have game day at the University of Dayton right on campus. Just what a day that was. We got Jay Bilgus in the house just hyping us up. I don't know how many times he said Dayton is a legit, but he said it more than enough times as he has all season. And now, as fun as that is, Dayton still needs to take care of business here in Brooklyn, as that's where we're going next week, where Dayton will be the one seed in the A-10 tournament. Yeah, and we will cover some predictions from Brooklyn. We will talk about awards, but, you know, the regular season just wrapped up, and I, I think we got to give some service to some games that I think people are going to forget about here pretty quick. Mm -hmm. The first one just being what we once anticipated was going to be the crown jewel of this conference season. Dayton goes into Kingston and beats Rhode Island by more than they did in last year's blowout win. Yeah, that was hard to believe. I did not expect that at all. I thought it would be a close game. I expected Dayton to win. But man, they just pounded the Rams, really wire to wire. That game was never in doubt. And it just kind of shows Rhode Island struggled a lot, and they are not going into the postseason playing their best basketball. That gives me a lot of confidence for Dayton, though, because they've kind of slept walked through some of these games. And that's really just nitpicking since they're undefeated. But it was good to see the Flyers just play a really solid team. I mean, Rhode Island's one of the best in this conference. And they just blew them out. They had no trouble at all. And that, that gives me a lot more confidence that Dayton can beat some good teams in the NCAA tournament this year. Yeah, and this game was really just a symbol of how the season is starting to split in two separate ways for what was long the top two teams in the conference. You're exactly right with talking about Dayton kind of sleepwalking through their games. One of our biggest concerns was that they just didn't have the proper fires. They went through February. And now you see it in the Davidson game, the Rhode Island game, and the second half of the GW game. That fire is back, and they are absolutely ready for March. I don't know. The, you could have been concerned that this team was peaking too early, but it kind of feels like they're starting to peak again. Yeah, I hope so. It just feels like... At this point, it's so hard to pick against Dayton when they're riding the nation's longest winning streak, and it's really hard to find anything bad to say about the Flyers right now. So obviously, they are going to face some much stiffer competition once we get to March Madness, but right now, it feels like they're playing as well as they have all season. And as you said, they are projected as a one seed at the moment, and they should hold on to that if they win the A-10 tournament. If they lose... They'd probably drop back to a two, but still, one or a two seed, that's nothing to complain about if you're UD. And, and meanwhile, on the other side, Rhode Island has just been drifting for weeks here. It feels like their bubble chances are basically non-existent at this point. 
especially given that if they beat Dayton, that would be in the finals and then would just get them the AQ bid anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's really starting to feel like this team is not going to make the NCAA tournament because I, I just right now I can't see them winning in Brooklyn. And the biggest reason is that Cyril Langevin is just not himself. This injury has just sapped so much out of him. Like a, a fully healthy Cyril Langevin would not have allowed what Obi Toppin did in that game on Tuesday. Obi just completely destroyed him. And, you know, Langevin's been beat up for weeks. Jeff Dalton's pretty beat up right now, too. And without those two healthy, I just can't see it from the Rams. Yeah, it's just unfortunate. And they've kind of had a thin rotation all year. Maybe that's starting to catch up to them. So they just, they're not at their best right now, which is too bad. But they still have a week to figure it out. And I still think they have the talent if they can put it all together. And if, especially if Fats Russell's playing at his peak, I think Rhode Island can beat anybody in the conference. But. Really, I think their at-large hopes are pretty much over. Honestly, at this point, out of nowhere, if there's another team that has at-large aspirations, it might be St. Louis. I think they're in too deep of a hole right now, but they're in the top 50 of the net right now. And if they're going to have a potential game against Dayton in the semifinals, you never know. That could get them close. They've already taken Dayton down to the wire twice. But I think Rhode Island's kind of done at this point for their at-large bid. Yeah, I, I guess the case for SLU is you beat the Bonnies, you get that ginormous resume-making win over Dayton, and then you lose into the finals to, I, uh, I want to say, maybe only Richmond. Mm-hmm. But Rhode Island's resume is still strong enough that that loss probably isn't too different. But they're going to need some help, and you look around at other conferences, whereas right now Richmond's in a spot where they need a team like NC State to just not beat Duke and not add that win to their resume if Richmond has a good weekend. St. Louis is in a place where they would need NC State to lose to Pitt, Mm -hmm. and they, they need other teams' resumes to be dragged down for them to have a shot, whereas if Richmond plays well this weekend, they just need the teams around them to not pick up better wins. I think it's interesting how Richmond's been playing really well the last month or so of the season. I think they finished on like a 6-1 and one or 7-1 and one stretch, but they really never moved up in the bracketology. And even after a nice 2-0 and o week with wins against Davidson at home and then Duquesne on the road, it still seems like a lot of people have the Spiders on the outside looking in, which I look at their resume and I'm confused because they're 24-7. and seven. They have a neutral court win over the one seed in the Big Ten, which is pretty much unanimously regarded as the best conference in basketball this year. I know there's the bad loss against Radford, but that's really the only bad mark on Richmond's resume. I feel like this should be a tournament team, especially if they can win at least one A-10 tournament game. I, I, I also kind of wonder, too, does the committee basically give them a pass for that terrible egg they laid against VCU, given that Blake Francis didn't play in that game? Yeah, and he was also out against Dayton that week, that same week. So I don't know. I, I hope. I think a lot of it depends on how much the committee respects the A-10. And even though there's a chance we only get one or two teams, people need to realize this was still a good year for the conference overall. 
It's just when you have Dayton going 18 and 0 that makes it harder for other teams to pick up good wins. If Dayton goes 16 and 2 and loses to Richmond and Rhode Island, all of a sudden there's three at large teams probably, but I feel like the lack of parity within the conference just makes it tough for other teams to build a resume. But overall, Richmond going 14 and 4 in what was a pretty strong year for the A10. I feel like that should be good enough, and it's kind of disheartening to see so many just mediocre power conference teams still ahead of them. So we'll see. I still think Richmond has a good chance, especially if they can win a game or two in Brooklyn, but it still seems like they might have a little bit of work to do. Oh, hey, you know what, Richmond? Just go out and make it to the finals here. Because if you beat Davidson on Friday and then you beat either Duquesne or Rhode Island on Saturday, then that's two more quad one slash quad two wins, which would put them very comfortably above 500 in that category. And that tends to be a pretty great indicator of your ability to get into the tournament is that uh, above 500 record against quad one and quad two teams, especially given that they only have one loss outside of that group. The team I keep thinking of with this Richmond squad at 14 and four, just right on the bubble heading into Brooklyn it's that 2016 St. Bonaventure team that picked up a couple monster wins within the conference. That year they won at St. Joe's and at Dayton. But the Bonnies lost their first A-10 tournament game against a mediocre Davidson team. And that's kind of the position Richmond's in, where they have a couple really nice wins. I mean, they, they beat one at Rhode Island and then out of conference against Wisconsin. So they have the quality wins on their resume but they really don't want to make their last impression losing to, again, a pretty mediocre Davidson team in the first round. So we'll see. I think I, I'm kind of with you that I think Richmond can win that game, but they just need a strong showing here in Brooklyn to leave no doubt and to let the committee know that they belong in the field. So Richmond, they just need to take care of business in this tournament, and that's what they've been doing the last few weeks coming off a great 2-0 and week that was really capped off by going into Pittsburgh and beating a Duquesne team that was playing maybe their biggest regular season game of the 21st century. And a big testament in that game to two guys that we'll be talking about a lot in terms of awards voting, Jacob Gilliard was incredible on defense, basically just making timely plays in the way that we talk about Jalen Crutcher doing the same on the offensive end. Every moment that it felt like Richmond really needed a stop, here was Jacob Gilliard making some acrobatic steal and starting the break for the Spiders. And this is against two really good point guards who don't turn the ball over in Sincere Carey and Tavian Dunmartin. And Gilliard was basically just destroying them. And on the other end, Grant Golden, every time they inched towards the double team for him, he found the right cutter every single time in that game. It was just an absolute passing clinic from the, from the foul line from Grant Golden. I was a little bit concerned, even though I did pick Richmond to win this game. I guess one of my concerns is that Duquesne is a team that profiles kind of similar to St. Louis, I think with their size and physicality. And St. Louis is a team that just absolutely destroyed Richmond the first time around. So I wasn't sure how Richmond would respond in this game, but overall they played excellent, especially defensively. Gilliard, as you mentioned, and then Grant Golden held his own in the paint. So those guys were awesome. And overall, this was a game that Richmond absolutely needed to win. 
to keep their resume in decent enough shape heading into Brooklyn. So I guess my question is, do you see this as a team that can win the A-10 tournament? And what needs to happen for them to do so? I mean, absolutely. They've made it very clear that at this moment, they're the second best team in the conference. And I don't think that they need any luck or help to get out of the bottom half of the bracket. They should be able to beat Davidson, who plays basically the same style as them, but doesn't have a big man as good as Golden mm-hmm. and doesn't have a defensive guard as good as Jacob Gilliard. Next round, you end up against either this just limping Rhode Island team or you get another shot against Duquesne. So Richmond should reasonably be able to make the finals. Then all of a sudden you're talking about Sunday. Maybe you catch Duquesne on the right day. Maybe you end up playing the Bonnies or uh, I guess VCU or UMass could maybe make it there. But I think Richmond should be able to beat the Bonnies and get revenge if they get a rematch there. St. Louis is the potential nightmare for this team because, we, as we saw in the game earlier in the year, if Travis Ford just wants to play bully ball the whole game, I'm not sure there's anything the Spiders can do to stop it. Mm-hmm. But no, they should be able to get to Sunday. And then once, once you get to Sunday and everyone's legs are getting tired, if you're a team as talented as Richmond, that game might be a coin flip no matter who you play. I don't disagree that Richmond is the second best team in the conference. And I think they have a good chance to make the finals. As you mentioned, I think they match up well with Davidson. And then if they get Rhode Island, I think the biggest key there is that Jacob Gilliard is as good as any guard in the conference defensively. And I think he's one of the few guys that's capable of shutting down Fats Russell, which to me, that's how you beat Rhode Island. So I think Richmond can make the finals. I just don't see how they can beat Dayton because the way you beat the Flyers is with offensive rebounding and second chance points. And that's one thing that Richmond does not do well at all. And then kind of the same thing if they run into St. Louis instead. That's a really tough matchup. St. Louis just, they make the game so ugly. And I think that they made it hard for Richmond to get into their rhythm offensively the first time they played. So I don't know. I think that would be a really tough game. I think that Dayton and St. Louis would be the two toughest matchups for Richmond in this tournament. So the way I see it, I think the Spiders can get to the finals, and I'm expecting them to. I just don't know if they would have a good chance of winning against the two favorites to make it against them. I mean, once you get to three games in three days, you have no idea. Yeah, that's true. And the case for Richmond in a Dayton game anyway is just Sherrod and Francis both get red hot. and the threes aren't falling for Dayton Mm -hmm. because Dayton will have to score enough in that game that they'll have to hit some threes. But then once you get to three games in three days, I mean, God forbid, what if one of Dayton's top guys just kind of steps wrong in the semifinal game and what normally would have been an injury that's easily recoverable in three days is something that really throws off one of their key guys when they only have 22 hours to rest. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that happens when you get into these conference tournaments. And so, yeah, I mean, if if Dayton plays Richmond, Dayton should absolutely be a hefty favorite in that game. But I'm not going to sit here and say that the Spiders can't beat them, especially in the scenario in which favorites are always at their most vulnerable, which is the back end of conference tournaments. And we have to remember, too, as big of a favorite Dayton is right now, 
The one seed does not do well in the A-10 tournament. I think you have to go back to 2013 when St. Louis won the regular season and the A-10 tournament. It's been a while. And, we, you know, we had the same thing last year. Even though VCU wasn't as good as Dayton, they were a pretty similar favorite. Both teams had around 50 to 60% chances to win, according to Ken Palm. And we all know what happened to VCU. So I, I don't think you can just pencil in as pencil in Dayton as the champion automatically. They're going to have their work cut out for them. But I just feel like, in particular, Richmond is a team that Dayton shouldn't have that much trouble with. Now, St. Louis, on the other hand, that's a potential semifinal matchup. We've already seen the Billikens play Dayton really tough twice. In fact, I'd say the two St. Louis games might have been the two toughest games Dayton had to play this conference season. So that's one where I wouldn't be terribly shocked just with the short turnaround and all of the extra factors going into a conference tournament. If St. Louis brings their A game and has a ton of energy on the court that day, I feel like that's the one team that has the best chance of knocking off UD. Yeah, and we'll we'll get more into the specifics of potential matchups as the week goes along. I know we announced on Twitter, I don't think we've said it on the pod yet, but we'll be bringing you guys some shorter episodes Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night from Brooklyn. Instead of our normal length, we'll be doing something in maybe the 30 to 40 minute format. Give you something uh, something nice to listen to in the mornings before the games. And we'll go deeper into the specific matchups there. But just one thing I, I want to remind everybody about. We talk about VCU getting shocked by Rhode Island last year. I think everyone forgets the biggest reason why that happened. And it, it once again just shows the danger of the conference tournaments. Marcus Evans got hurt in the first half. Mm-hmm. And then that team just fell apart. And I, I say it again, like, God, God forbid that somebody on Dayton rolls an ankle and they're out for 20 minutes of that game. It could flip the entire weekend for them. And that, that that's where the variability and the volatility of conference tournaments comes into play. And with that, I'm going to make my finals prediction, and I'm going to go chalk and say that Dayton beats Richmond anyway. Yeah, you know, I actually I went on the Spider Scoop podcast this morning. Um, I said the exact same thing. Look, I'm not going to Brooklyn to pick against my team. So it's just how can you pick against Dayton? I know the one seed loses every year, but they're 18-0. and 0. I'm just, I'm not buying it. And I'm probably a fool for saying that. I am scared of the St. Louis game. Let me tell you this, I am happy. For a while, it looked like St. Louis might be the eight seed, which absolutely terrified me because that's a nightmare quarterfinals matchup for Dayton. Getting them in the semis isn't quite as bad, and I still think that's a tough game, but I just don't see Dayton losing. If they do lose, I think it will be St. Louis. But I guess before we move on to our awards, are there any other teams you want to talk about that you think have a run in them? And maybe they could just surprise a few people. Yeah, so I wanted to wrap up this segment by talking about our dark horse picks. And for me, I guess you could count Richmond as a dark horse because Dayton is such a huge favorite. But I just think they're too good for that categorization. I'm also crossing out Rhodey because unless Doughton and Langevine get some like German blood spinning done this week. I'm just not sure either of them are healthy enough for it. And then on the other side, I don't think Davidson's good enough and VCU's got too much weird stuff going on. 
So for me, the dark horse argument is a, a debate between St. Louis Duquesne and St. Bonaventure. And all three teams are obviously flawed. But for me, when I'm picking a dark horse, I'm looking at who, who has the most possible ways to win. And that to me is St. Bonaventure, who also on the flip side has the most possible ways to lose. I, I've said it over and over again. If St. Louis is going to win this tournament, Javante Perkins has to have 70 or 75 points over these three games because the rest of their offense is not good enough to get the job done if that doesn't happen. Duquesne, the team's weird. They they just, they lose too many games or struggle in too many games that they shouldn't be. And so for me, as my dark horse, and yesterday morning they were coming in at 30 to 1 to win this tournament. I think the Bonnies have the chance to be able to shock some people here. And I just look at them as a team that's always sound defensively. They have a great coach, but they have so many different ways to score. Kyle Lofton could just take over a second half. Asuna Shunahi could be a monster down in the post against a team that maybe has a big and foul trouble. But they have two really good bailout guys in Jaron English and Dom Welsh, who've been playing really well down the stretch. And if those guys start hitting from the outside, then that offense becomes incredibly dangerous. I just, I don't see it with the Bonnies. They're not playing good basketball right now. Uh, they, they finished the season at two and four in their last six. And that includes blowouts against Davidson and St. Louis, a pretty questionable loss at LaSalle, and then the overtime loss at home against Duquesne. So I just don't think the Bonnies are playing very well right now. I'll go on the record and say if someone other than Dayton wins, I'd put my money on St. Louis just because of their ability to beat Dayton. I think they have as good of a chance as anybody, but otherwise, you know, I could see Duquesne just because even though they lost to Richmond, I still think that's a decent matchup for them. And Duquesne's another team that also played pretty well in their two games against Dayton. So I think they're a team that maybe has a better chance than some of the others. So, yeah, I I kind of disagree, actually. I don't really think St. Bonaventure has as good of a chance. I feel like St. Louis or Duquesne, maybe, if we see a lower seed, make a run. That's who I would pick. Yeah, I, I, I think the Dukes could actually sneak up on some people, mainly because I, I love the Rhode Island matchup for them right now with how beat up that team is. The reason Duquesne lost the first matchup out in Kingston is because they basically played their worst half of the entire season mm-hmm. in the second half of that game, and they got absolutely obliterated on the boards, which does not happen to the Dukes very often. They have a, a guy in Sincere Carey who's the perfect guy to put up against Fats Russell. And, you know, I would favor them against Davidson if somehow the Wildcats pulled an upset against Richmond. Mm-hmm. The biggest issue I have in picking the Dukes right now is I don't know what they do against Obi Toppin or Grant Golden. And you saw it in the last Dayton game, and you saw it on Friday night. This is the biggest bugaboo with the Duquesne defense right now, which is every single time they try to double-team somebody, they get destroyed. Mm-hmm. Their switches and helping off of double-teams for the last three weeks has been unbelievably horrific. And a pair of great passing big men and Obi Toppin and Grant Golden have horribly exposed them the last few weeks. So if they end up up against the spiders they better fix that really quick 
because if they don't, then they're not beating either of the top two seeds. And while maybe one of them gets upset, you're going to have to beat one of those two to win it. And I guess I should say this too, even though I just said I think Duquesne maybe could be a sleeper. At the same time, I think they're also the biggest risk of getting upset on Thursday because they're probably going to play against GW, which is a team they already eh, lost GW to. GW was zone two against Fordham this year. They played bad against Fordham, too. <laughs> I know, hey, GW has a big Fordham problem. We can't ignore that, but GW is also just a random team that heats up out of nowhere. Like, they get blown out every once in a while, but, like, they just hung with Dayton for about 23 minutes or so, which was really impressive until Dayton ran away with a 25-point win. But, I mean, Mayhem, we'll see what happens when you take Mayhem to the conference tournament. That's never happened in the A-10 yet. I don't know. And hey, oh, please win GW. I, I've i made too many declarations about refusing to go watch Duquesne-Fordham round three. And I still haven't seen the Dukes play a conference tournament game in person because the last time I went, they were so bad they didn't make it out of the pillow fight. Well... All I'm saying, I I try to remain kind of impartial, but I desperately hope GW loses to Fordham. Could you imagine a situation where Fordham wins three games in conference and they're all against the same team? <laughs> that would be so great, especially when you consider that GW ended up with an open... Like, they got 11th, but they won more games than a lot of people expected. If they managed to lose three against Fordham, that would be so funny. And I'd feel bad, but... <laughs> And by the way, there, there's basically a poetry to this quadrant of the bracket where I, I know people don't want to nitpick one game out of the schedule. But if you want to look at one reason why GW stuck in the pillow fight, it's because they couldn't get a split with Fordham. Mm -hmm. So now in order to make round two, they have to beat Fordham. <laughs> and let's assume that they do. Well, why did Duquesne not get a double bye? Because they inexplicably lost to GW at home right before a really nasty stretch of schedule. And so now, in order to make the quarterfinals, they got to beat GW. And there's a beautiful <laughs> poetry to this on both ends. Wow. I, I did not realize that Duquesne, if they beat GW, you're right, they would have been the four seed. So. Yeah, because they That's... have the tiebreaker over Slip. Yeah, that hurts. But you can't take a night off in the A-10, that's, that's for sure. Anyone can sneak up on you. So, all right, I don't really have too much else to say about the A-10 tournament. Are you ready to move on to awards? Yes, yeah, so let's move on to awards. But real quick before that, um, as we move into Brooklyn, you know, the, the A-10 podcasting families are going to be crossing paths a ton this week. Mm -hmm. And so a, a quick plug, we, we split up earlier today. You went on the Spider Scoop podcast with our former guest Noah Goldberg and his friend Austin Daisy. And then I am on the SBU Unfurled and Friends pod with SBU Unfurled and Bonna Commenter. So if you guys are looking for some more A10 content, be sure to check those two out. I, I'm sh I know they're coming out early in the week too. So we got three days till the game starts. We got plenty of time to listen to some A10 podcasts. So be able to check. Take some time, check those two guys out. They both do some pretty good work. Yeah, for sure. So moving on to the A-10 Awards, uh, tomorrow morning we will be announcing the first ever A-10 Media Awards. We got a fantastic panel of experts who have been sending in their ballots, but right now I think it's time for us to talk about our own ballots. And 
these will be included. We are on the voting panel, but you know, we we want to give some commentary behind what we thought because this isn't the baseball hall of fame vote and the people deserve to hear why we chose the way we did. Yep. All right. So I think we'll start off the three. I think there's four that would be pretty quick and I'm sure we have a consensus on this and you can stop me if, if we don't, uh, Obi Toppin player of the year. Yep. I know I tried to make a case that there was an argument that this maybe wasn't true. And then Obi went absolutely bonkers the last six games of the year. You need to look really hard to find a reason not to, when you're, when you have a national player of the year candidate, like, yeah, it's not a discussion. So. Yeah, I, I I talked about this a little bit on SBU Unfurled too. He's he is now even in two years has just reached the stratosphere of of the greatest A ten players of this century. Mm-hmm. Um, rookie of the year, Trey Mitchell. Yep. You got any gripes on that? He's he's been one of the five best guys in the conference the last three to four weeks to close out the season. Yeah, um, Trey Mitchell for sure. For rookie. coach of the year, Anthony Grant. You can make a great case for Chris Mooney, who took Richmond from a pillow fight team to the number two seed in a possible NCAA tournament bid, but I, Anthony Grant needs deserves some credit for constructing this beautiful offense well, yeah. and getting guys to buy into the proper rules. I think he needs to get credit for the fact that all, all of these guys are so unselfish. Well, and I don't care who's on your team. I mean, Dayton has a ton of talent, but if you go 18-0... I think you're the coach of the year, and there shouldn't be a discussion. So, agree, Chris Mooney had a great year. And then one more guy I want to shout out. I think Matt McCall did a great job, too, because he took the youngest team in the conference and got an eight seed, which, that's pretty surprising. I don't think very many people thought UMass would reach those heights. And they came very close to going 500 in conference, so I thought Matt McCall also did a good job. Yeah, McCall has not been afraid to tinker around with his lineups, which is something that has really helped this team get hot down the stretch. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, I, I think this will be controversial for people, but I think the two of us have a pretty strong consensus here. But to make sure, who's your sixth man of the year? I got Javante Perkins. Okay. So I, I think a lot of people are going to argue for Ibby Watson and maybe even Tavian Dunmartin, the defending champ who got hot down the stretch, but... I mean, God, Slew's offense just doesn't work without Javante Perkins. You take him off this team, they're a possibly non-threatening, like, nine seed. Mm-hmm. Instead, they get the double buy, and the, he's the one who makes the Ford system work. Because in order for them to just play bully ball all the time, they need somebody to space the floor for them. Javante Perkins has been doing that, scoring over 18 points a game in conference play. And this, for me, was pretty easy. Yeah, I just think the only weird thing, like, I'd understand if people didn't want to pick him. I guess you just don't really think of him as a sixth man because he plays, like, 30 to 35 minutes, so he just happens to not start the games. But, yeah, Javante Perkins has been unbelievable. He wasn't that great in the first half of the season, but within conference play, he's been one of the best offensive players in the conference. So I agree, that was an easy pick for me, too. So I guess that with that, then we'll go into defensive player of the year. I, I This is the most fascinating award to me. I think that there's just, there might be seven or eight guys who truly have a case for this. Yeah, I think so. So who, who'd you pick for yours? I decided to go with Jacob Gilliard. 
because I just felt like Richmond was a team that was expected to be very below average defensively. And by the end of the year, they were one of the best in the conference. And I think Gilliard's a huge part of that. He just disrupts so much far away from the basket. I mean, he'll get his hands on passes, which creates a lot of in transition. And overall, I mean, I just think he's one of the quickest guards in the conference. He's one of the national leaders in steals. And really, I just think he's the anchor of what turned out to be a really nice Richmond defense this year. Yeah, so I, I actually end up with Gilliard myself. And this is why I didn't fill out my ballot till after the games ended, because I was leaning pretty heavily towards Cyril Langevin. Just you look at the difference of what Rody's defense has done with him on and off the court. It's yep. astounding. And he's had such an impact. And he really had a chance to lock up the award on Wednesday night. And unfortunately, unfortunately for him, He's just not he's just not right right now. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to penalize him for that. He's hurt and trying to guard Obi Toppin. That's an incredibly tough task. But Jacob Gilliard came in and stole the award on Friday night. I would at that point I had Gilliard as my number 2 and just the fact that he swung single-handedly swung one of the biggest halves of basketball of the entire A10 conference season on the defensive end. That was enough for me to jump him from two to one. Yeah. He's a ball hawk. He's impossible to dribble against. And I mean, hell, when's the last time a guy this height has won defensive player of the year anywhere? Yeah, probably never. I think that makes what he does so impressive. And just to be clear, I'm not voting for him like because of what he's doing in spite of his height. I mean, I genuinely think he had the best season defensively out of anybody. And He's just so much fun to watch, too. I think that that's probably part of what went into it. But overall, I mean, if Gilliard was just an average defender, I really don't think this... Richmond would still be great on offense, but they wouldn't be the same defensively, and I don't think they would have gotten second in the conference. Yeah, and Richmond's defense really improved down the stretch. And it improved because Grant Golden started playing so much better on that end. Yeah, Golden but the was reason- good too. The reason that it had a shot to even get to average in the first place is because of Jacob Gilliard. Yep. No, 100% agree. So I guess next, do you want to move on to most improved player? I'll yeah. You, I'll let you go first for this one. So I talked about this last week, all the guys who really have a case, and it's such a weird award. And so for me, the definition is a, a guy who really went from – I don't want to be insulting, but basically went from nothing to something. I think that's the easiest way to find a a great, most improved player. And so for me, it came down to two guys, Arnell Potter and AJ Wilson. And Potter basically went from a guy that I kind of forgot was even on GW last year. (laughs) Like I was, I, I was stunned that this guy was a senior. I thought he was like a sophomore for half the year Um, to being GW's leader. And A.J. Wilson, who went from just a nice defensive backup to being a potential all-conference player and a potential all-defensive team guy. And Mm -hmm. I I went with A.J. Wilson. I I think it just matters more that he turned himself into really an absolute star. Yeah, I I agree. I actually also went with A.J. Wilson. Uh, Considered R.L. Potter because he's kind of a similar case where he wasn't even a starter last year. He wasn't a starter at the beginning of this year either, but... Yeah, Wilson just, 
he's George Mason's best player for sure. Offensively, he got way better because in the he was always a good defender, but offensively he took a gigantic step forward. And I'm really excited to see what he can do next year as a senior. I mean, he if George Mason's going to have any chance, he's going to be the reason why, I think. And then defensively, too. He, he's still one of the best shot blockers in the conference. So I also went with Wilson. It just kind of felt weird. I know Fats Russell's one guy that got way more efficient, but he still averaged like 15, 16 points last year. That just didn't really feel right. And same for Obi Toppin, who was a first-team player. I... I know he's another guy that got way better and improved his draft stock, but I just when I think of most improved, I, I think of someone that really didn't get much of an opportunity before. And for Wilson, I think the case with him, he just he turned the ball over a lot and he never really got consistent playing time. And this year he turned into George Mason's superstar, which was fun to watch. So that that was sort of my rationale. And by the way, if you look at what Fats did the last three weeks of the year compared to this year, he didn't even he really didn't even get that much better. His not, not his big end. improvement came in mid-February of last season. Yeah. Not so. this year. Yep. So I guess we'll we'll kind of work backwards here uh, and end things on all-conference team because I think that's where the big discussion is going to come in. But okay. before we do all-defense and all-rookie, uh, we, we added a few categories that will be seen on the A-10 Media Awards on Monday but not the Coaches Awards on Tuesday. So we'll run through those real quick. Uh, transfer of the year, I went with Javante Perkins, who I think a lot of people forget he came from a junior college. For me, he edges out kind of ironically two other great shooters and scorers, Blake Francis and Ibby Watson. Yep, I also went with Javante Perkins there. Uh, he just got so much better in conference play. I guess one other guy, too, I want to shout out, uh, Jaron English for St. Bonaventure. He doesn't get talked about very much, but he had a really nice year. But, yeah, for me, Javante Perkins edged out Blake Francis. I think part of that, Francis missed about five games in conference, too. And really, those two guys put up similar stats, but with Perkins doing it over the full 18 games, I went with him. Yep, no no arguments there. Uh, yep. Sharpshooter of the year, I took Nick Sherrod of Richmond. Yeah, this was a tough one. I actually ended up going with Bones Highland for VCU. I just felt like his three-point shooting really took off at the beginning of conference play when you know Marcus Evans went down for a little bit and some of VCU's other guys just were kind of quiet offensively. So I thought Bones just provided such a spark shooting the ball. But Sherrod really heated up at the end of the year. You could have gone with Jalen Crutcher. I actually think Scott Spencer for LaSalle ended up as the number one three-point shooter in conference play, too, so he's a candidate, but yeah, and I went with Bones. Sherrod shot 43% from three in conference season, and just the the importance of those shots and the high volume of it was what led me to take him, and I think a big part of it is just how well he played those six games when Blake Francis was out, when... Richmond just really needed all hands on deck to kind of keep things afloat. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so for me, I, I think just, I, I'm, I guess it's kind of the combination of the heavy volume and the fact that those Nick Sherrod threes are so important to Richmond. It's so critical to their offense. And for me, that's how I landed on him. King of the clutch award. Um, this might be unanimous. I, I, I went with Jalen Crutcher. Yeah, no, I, I did too. I mean, he hit the most memorable shot of the season. 
couple of other guys stand out. I mean, there were some big moments, but it's Jalen Croucher for me. Yeah, I mean, basically for me, there, there's three guys that just in this conference that really elevate themselves when we get into the final eight minutes of the game. And it's Crutcher, it's Kyle Lofton, and it's Sincere Carey. And Carey had maybe the, uh, no, the most impressive uh, single clutch moment was the Crutcher shot against St. Louis. But number two was Sincere Carey hitting those three foul shots as the St. Bonaventure fans threw things on the court at him. But Jalen Crutcher just had too many great moments. It's not really a battle there. I guess one more clutch moment I want to throw out. Jacob Toppin making two free throws to avoid losing to Fordham. That was a big one for the freshman. That's just one that kind of stood out to me this season. Yeah, which, oh no, they still would have ended up as the four. Never mind. Yep. Because they would have had the tiebreaker over the Bonnies and Duquesne. Um, the Super Senior Award. Uh, this is kind of a very ambiguous one. And I didn't go with the guy who I felt had been the best senior this year, but I took Jeff Doughton of Rhode Island because he so often reflected that great senior quality of just being someone that Rhodey could rely on in terrible moments. He was willing to take the ball and try to make the big shots when their offense went to hell and when Fats was struggling. Yeah, that's a good one. He was probably my second choice. I ended up going with Trey Landers just because... That was my second choice. Yeah, I mean, you, you said leadership could be a part of it, and I think Trey is as, as good of a leader as there is in the A-10. So he, he's one of those glue guys that's just so important to Dayton, even though his stats might not always stand out compared to, to other guys. But yeah, I decided to go with Trey there. Yeah, and really, you can make a case for Ryan Mikesell, too, I think. Mm-hmm. I think the reason that this Dayton team is so stable, why they're such, why these guys are such great friends and why they're so unselfish, it's a combination of Anthony Grant, Trey Landers, and Ryan Mikesell. Those guys set the tone in that locker room, and it, it's really trickled down to to everyone across that team. Yep, 100% agree. So, uh, right. Game of the year, the final oh, one. Yeah. There's basically two here. It has to be part one of the Arch Baron Cup. Mm-hmm. Think of how different we think about this season two if if Dayton's seventeen and one right now instead of eighteen and zero. Yeah, that's true. I mean that people remember the Croucher shot, but Dayton was also down by double digits most of the second half, and that that required a crazy comeback where their offense just kind of woke up the last six or seven minutes of the game out of nowhere, and you know winning in that environment at that point maybe it didn't seem quite as important as important because I think Dayton was only probably four or five and oh in the conference that was pretty early in the season but it turns out you looking back with what that means for Dayton to go undefeated and they needed to win that big game at Chaffetz I think that's also the game of the year I guess the the second candidate for that which I, I think you're probably thinking of is the quadruple overtime between Davidson and GW where the Colonials pulled that one out at home that was another great game, but unfortunately it was on ESPN Plus, so probably not quite as many people got to see that one. Yeah, and that was more so just the ultimate what-the-hell game of the year. Mm-hmm. Because those overtimes were, were so weird. Where I At one point, I literally thought Davidson was trying to lose that game. <laughs> they ran so many bad plays, and people were just bricking layups all over the place. All their big guys fouled out. It was, that game was bizarre. But it was it was incredibly fun back and forth and super tense. 
Yeah, that was a good one. So hopefully we get another game of the year in Brooklyn. We, we've had some good ones in the past, but yeah, so far it's, it's the Arch Baron Cup, I think. So when we'll get back to the real awards, the, the five teams, starting with the all-rookie team, for me, I had three Stone Cold locks and one pretty close to a lock. Uh, Trey Mitchell, obviously, he's yep. he's going to be the, – the Trey Mitchell debates will be on what all-conference team he ends up on. Uh, Bones Highland, who was fantastic down the stretch and really kind of kept VCU's offense afloat through the injuries. And then Yuri Collins for St. Louis, who doesn't get a ton of buzz, but he's one of their four key guys. He's the table setter for that offense, and he is fantastic on defense as a freshman. And then to wrap it up, uh, Jamison Battle of GW, who's still dealing with some inconsistency issues, but has had some ginormous games and all in all had a really great conference season. He's pretty close to a lock for me. And then the final spot, I went with his teammate, Jameer Nelson Jr. Okay. So I, I also had three locks, although I had different locks. I, I had Trey Mitchell, Bones Highland, and Jamison Battle. They were easy picks for me. After that, it was kind of tough. I decided to go with Hyungjung Lee who, for Davidson, who I thought... He was my sixth guy. Yeah, offensively, he was just really good for Davidson. He's a great three-point shooter, and he fits into their system. The fifth spot, all right, I will admit it, this is kind of a bad pick. Like, based on the statistics, this guy has no business making the all-rookie team. But I thought he was just so important. Is it... Is it Preston Santos? No, it's not, although I do like him. but Okay, because there's a great analytics case for Preston yeah, Santos. Yeah, no, it's it's not him. Um, I just really think this team, we, we wouldn't be having the same discussions if he wasn't around playing this well. I went with Tyler Burton for Richmond because I think he Ooh. just provides so much needed rebounding and athleticism for that team. And he doesn't get a ton of minutes, but I do think if you look at his conference-only stats compared to the whole season, he got better as the season went along. And he, he's just a guy that I think he's really important. He fits his role really well. And he, he's a guy that Richmond needs. So I that's just kind of me not being able to think of a slam dunk for the fifth pick. So I just went with someone that I thought was just important to his team's overall success. Yeah, and, and it's kind of funny to think about, too. We actually shouldn't even be having this debate for the fifth spot. Uh, get well soon, TJ Weeks. I, I miss TJ Weeks. Yeah, he, he probably would have made it, too, because he was great. I'm, so, I'm still so sad about that injury. Yeah, and I, I will say I wanted to pick Yuri Collins. I really did, but he just turns the ball over a ton. And I know he's a freshman. He'll get better at that. But, you know, his efficiency numbers really aren't good. And defensively, I won't deny, I think he's great. But overall, St. Louis still, they're not that good of an offensive team. I just, I, I didn't think he was good enough offensively as St. Louis's main point guard. So he's a guy, I think he's got a bright future, but I just couldn't get past some of his efficiency numbers. Uh, wh- one other guy, and I had to leave him off to keep him from transferring, but he, he doesn't get enough publicity. Uh, Josh Cologne from Fordham. He's kind of the he's kind of the table setter for that team. He's a, he's a good young player. He just doesn't have the talent around him. I think that hurt his overall numbers. I think Josh Cologne's a junior. I think he transferred. Is he really? Yeah, but I guess that does give me a chance. Uh, Joel Soriano, though, for Fordham. 
he ended up with like five double doubles in a row at one point, and he was a really good defender and rebounder on a a Fordham team that we've talked about. They're they're actually good on defense, so that's a guy too. But Josh Cologne, I mean, he Josh Cologne's a junior. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, but he's good. I mean, relative to Fordham's other guys, he's pretty All good. Right. There we go, because I'm pretty sure we're the foremost Fordham experts in A10 media, and we don't even know. That's how much everyone cares about Fordham. Gosh, it go. is ridiculous. I know too much about Fordham. Like I, I spend too much time thinking about the A10 <laughs> that I know Ooh. that. <laughs> we're, quick breaking news. The final regular season A10 Mayhem rankings are out. Oh. Dayton finishing in third, their highest spot of the season on wow. uh, below GW. So uh, <laughs> that's nice. The uh, the metrics behind the mayhem, very much impressed by them being able to beat the Colonials. Yeah, I guess when you beat mayhem, that helps your own mayhem ranking out. So that's good to see. That's something that'll help out once we get to tourney time. All right, any other comments for our rookie team? No, that's it for me. Uh, I guess we'll move on to all defensive team, which was just brutally tough for me. I, I think I had 12 guys in consideration. Yeah, it was tough. So well, one thing for me, too, and I think this gets screwed up a lot in all defensive team where everyone just votes for point guards who get steals and centers who get blocks. To me, this has to be constructed as an actual basketball team. So I, I ended up only with one wing because you just there's just not – enough great wing defenders in this conference. So I'll kind of break it down by category real quick. Um, the two guard spots, uh, apologies to Fats Russell, Sincere Carey, Kyle Lofton, and Yuri Collins, who all missed out. But I settled on my defensive player of the year, Jacob Gilliard, and the critical defensive piece that may decide whether or not we see an A-10 team in the Final Four this year, Rodney Chapman. And this is another just on-off story, like with Cyril Langevin. You look at basically every game where Dayton has gotten shredded by a good guard, it's because Rodney Chapman got in foul trouble at the beginning of the game. Yeah. <laughs> He's so important. And for me, the signature moment for him, ironically, is the same scenario as the signature moment for Jacob Gilliard. It's the second half against Duquesne in the second game for Dayton, where the Dukes are crawling back early in the half and everything is just going through sincere carry, whether it's him scoring or him just slashing into the paint and creating shots for others. And then Rodney just was on him like glue. The whole big Dayton run was because Rodney Chapman put sincere carry into a point where he literally was so uncomfortable that he couldn't throw entry passes into the post. Chapman was knocking him back to like the half court line. And then he came out to rest for three minutes. And they replaced him with another good defender in Dwayne Cohill. And Duquesne immediately came back because Kerry made four straight amazing plays. So, you know what? For me, I I'm putting Rodney Chapman on this all-defensive team. He is a guy that he's so important to what Dayton does on the defensive end, and I couldn't pass him up. Um, wings, ah, this was a coin toss for me. It basically came down to Jordan Goodwin versus Trey Landers. And I ended up going with Goodwin. I just think he's had he just had more great performances as an individual defender. And then for big men, a, a five-man battle. Uh, apologies to Hassan French, Asuna Shunahi, and A.J. Wilson. I went with Cyril Langevin. I think he's been the most impactful defensive player in this conference this year. 
like I said earlier, Rhode Island's defense falls apart without him. And then I went with Michael Hughes. And it's largely because of the fact that he might be the most versatile defensive player in the conference. He not only is a great rim protector with some of the most emphatic block shots in the conference, but he can actually guard stretch fours, come out on the perimeter, and jump passing lanes. He's been doing that all the way back to the early November game against Lipscomb when Dan Brat was experimenting with using him out there. He's he's kind of a defensive unicorn, the likes that we've really never seen in the A-10 these last few years. All right, so I had a couple of the same. I had three locks, pretty much, that were the guys I first thought of. Jacob Gilliard, who is my player of the year, already talked about him. Hassan French, I just, I think he is intimidating as they come in the A-10. St. Louis as a team defends the rim extremely well, and I think he's the biggest reason why. And he's also an excellent rebounder. Fats Russell, I had to pick him just because at the end of the day, he's top 15 in the country in steal rate. I just couldn't get past that. And also Rhode Island as a team, very good defensively. They don't give up a lot of three-point shots. And I think Fats is a big reason why he always sticks with his man, just because of his quickness. Then I went with Cyril Langevin. I ended up doubling up on Rhode Island players. Part of that, you talked about it a little bit earlier, but Rhode Island's defense got so much worse when Langevin either wasn't on the court or just when he's been injured. And that's another team that they just... Their post-defense is good, but I don't think Rhode Island's other big men are as good defensively. I think most of that has to do with Langevin. And then my fifth spot was Michael Hughes. And honestly, I mean, you pretty much hit the nail on the head with his defensive versatility. He would have been considered as my defensive player of the year, but he's still just really bad at staying out of foul trouble. And that's something, I almost left him off the team entirely, but I decided he was worth the fifth spot. If he can cut down on the fouls, I think he could be the best defensive player in the conference, but I just couldn't quite get past that yet. Yeah, and I I guess that's kind of part of the argument against Rodney Chapman, too. Yeah. There's just too many important moments where he ends up in bad foul trouble. I just feel like when Rodney Chapman's playing at his peak, like he was great last night against GW. He was giving Armel Potter a lot of hell out at the half-court line. He was... He was not making anything easy on GW's guards, but I feel like Chapman's just not quite as consistent defensively. He he gets burned every now and then, and the fouls are also an issue sometimes. So I just felt like he wasn't quite as good defensively on a consistent basis compared to the other guards I put on the team. But if I added one more guard, it probably would have been Rodney. Yeah, so, I mean, it's so close to me. I I can't really argue with any of your picks, nothing outlandish. Mm -hmm. So now we'll go into the what I think is by far the most fascinating awards race this year, the first team Mm -hmm. all-conference. I don't know. You want to start off this time? Sure. So um, first, I guess we, we talked about this before we started recording pretty much. There were three... And I get you're going to disagree a little bit, but there are three guys that are pretty widely agreed upon that should be on the first team, and that's Obi Toppin, Jalen Crutcher, and Fats Russell. So I, I put those three guys there first. The last two spots were really difficult for me. I decided I wanted to put a Richmond player on. 
because they ended up in second place, and overall it was just a great season. And I tend to give more weight toward conference play. So I went with Grant Golden, who I just think got off to a slow start this year, but he's been Richmond's most consistent scorer throughout conference season. He's stepped up his game defensively quite a bit, and he's also an excellent passer. And then my last spot, I I kind of surprised myself, and I actually made this change last minute this morning. But I went with Trey Mitchell for UMass. I just think his freshman season was so special. If you take him off UMass, this is easily a Wednesday night pillow fight team. But with him leading the way, they were able to get 8th place, which is a huge jump from where a lot of people expected them. And overall, Mitchell, he already is one of, has one of the highest usages as a freshman. And I, it's, we're going to be seeing him on more first team in, in the future. So maybe he won't make it on the real one this year. But I had to go with Trey Mitchell. His stats are just so impressive. Okay, so I had three locks, but I had a different third lock. Yeah, that's what I thought. It's, it's Obi Toppin and Jalen Crutcher. We don't even need to talk about it. Those two are on. Easy. Uh, I've been a little bit more down on fats than you have all year. We'll talk about him in a second. My third – you had him, but you seem to be far less confident than I was. My third lock is easily Grant Golden. and. So you said you you weigh conference play more. I mostly weigh conference play. Yeah. For me, non-con is kind of just basically like a tiebreaker if I get stuck. Yeah. Um, I'd say me too, I guess. Grant Golden is the reason Richmond got hot down the stretch. When And you can basically look at his conference season in three different stretches. The four games before the Blake Francis injury where – he kind of just didn't do much. He was just kind of a player. He was Richmond's fourth option. The six games that Francis was out, and then far most importantly, the eight games after Francis came back. And something happened partway through the Francis injury where Richmond started to realize that they had something special with Golden on the offensive end and started to shift their offense away from the Jacob Gilliard led just run and shoot that they were doing. They slowed it down a little bit and they started playing Grant Golden as their anchor. And the Duquesne game was kind of the quintessential moment of this where they were just running everything through Golden. And the reason that they won that game is because Golden was just making beautiful passes to cutters off of every double team. And if you just look at his game log, you basically just see a, a, a sharp shift in his stats the moment Blake Francis went down. He stabilized that team, and then he became their offensive leader. And I think you got to give him credit, too. He went from being a bad defender in the non-conference to at least being an average one at this point. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it, it's an absolute no-brainer for me to give it to Grant Golden. He was the center point of the best of the second-best team in conference down the stretch, and what he his overall numbers aren't quite as great as some other guys because he just didn't play that well to start things out, but he's red hot right now. Um, then for that, I had two spots left. It was basically five guys for two spots. So I ended up my next guy going with Jordan Goodwin. Just doesn't score as much as other guys, but the all around impact, maybe the best all-around impact guy in the A-10. 
his ability to score, to distribute the ball, to crash the glass, and to play great defense. And getting Slew that double by last night really kind of locked up this spot for him. He's he's just the most overall complete guy in the conference, and he's played like it all year. The last spot, I did end up going with Fats Russell. And it basically came down to him versus John Axel Goodmanson, two guys who are putting up fantastic scoring numbers. John Axel gives you a little bit more versatility-wise, both pretty good defenders, but Fats played on a better team. And for me, the tiebreaker just ended up being that you want your first team all-conference guy to be someone who really, really impacts a game. Mm-hmm. And there were just so many more moments where you just felt like Fats was clearly the best guy on the court. John Axel didn't have those moments quite as often this year. And that's, and he did last year. And that's why he's going from player of the year to possibly second or third team all conference, even though his stats are pretty similar is because he just didn't have as many games where he was the guy just controlling everything. And so that's how I landed on Fats for my first team. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with any of your picks. Jordan Goodwin was close for me. Overall, I just felt like he disappeared a couple times in the middle of conference season. And overall, he just wasn't as consistent as I would have liked a star to be. And his efficiency numbers weren't great. They were pretty good, but his rebounding is really impressive for a guard. He he just missed out for me, and he was the first guy off my first team. As for Fats, I guess I just want to defend him a little bit because... There have been so many haters coming out of the woodwork. People remember his bad shooting games because when he's bad, he's really bad sometimes. But those same haters forget, I think, that he's one of the best distributors in the conference. He's one of the best defenders in the conference. And he just has that ability to take over a game that very few other people have. So I know he had a couple rough games down the stretch, but still, at his volume... He was able to shoot pretty well from the field this year. And when you add that to his great defense, he was an easy first team pick for me. All right, so I guess I'll take my second team first. So the three guys who were in consideration for my first team, John Axel Goodmanson really came on strong late in the year. Fantastic all-around season. Like I said, stats-wise, pretty similar to last year when he won player of the year. Uh, Trey Mitchell. I think basically any other year he would be a first-team guy, but there's just so much talent at the top right now. Mm-hmm. He was putting up a, a 20-10 and 10 in conference play this year that's incredible. Um, gets hurt by the fact a little bit that UMass was basically looked like a lock pillow fight team in January, and they came on strong down the stretch. But mm-hmm. Trey Mitchell's got a super promising career. And then the one guy whose case is far more – a combination of eye test and team success than on the stat sheet. And that's Trey Landers. He's the third best guy on the best A-10 team of the last 20 years. And the numbers don't jump out at you, but when you watch games and you just see how many little plays he makes, either on the defensive end or just being able to get himself wide open off of cuts, making the unselfish pass, Trey Landers is the epitome of Dayton basketball, and that has to be rewarded with an all-conference team spot. For me, the last two guys for second team, um, Jacob Gilliard, another guy who just doesn't 
put up great scoring numbers, but he really just impacts Richmond so well on the defensive end and with his distribution. Last spot for me came down to two guys, and I ended up giving it to Kyle Lofton. He really kind of has two faces throughout the game, much like Jalen Crutcher, where early game Kyle Lofton is a guy who is trying to just move the ball around, get guys like Jared English and Dom Welsh a chance to get hot, and then when things get rough, Kyle Lofton becomes the guy for St. Bonaventure. He's a first-team All-A-10 talent who basically sacrificed stats and impact to the point that it knocked him down to the second team. And it makes Bonaventure a better team, but unfortunately it knocks Kyle Lofton down a peg. Okay, I actually had a lot of similarities, and the one difference, I am shocked, to be honest. So I have Jordan Goodwin as my first guy on the second team, just missed the cut for the first team. I had Marcus Weathers, which I I kind of thought we were going to pick him. Coming, I yeah. Everyone's had Weathers as a first or second team guy, and I'll I'll talk about it with third team. All right, yeah. So I had Weathers. I just felt like he was to me definitely Duquesne's best player. Honestly, I had him on my first team before the weekend, and then I switched him with Mitchell. I just felt like Weathers down the the closing stretch of the season, he started having a couple quiet games and maybe I know he's been dealing with a couple injuries too, as a lot of guys are this time of year, but overall I just feel like he's really versatile for Duquesne and does a lot for that team. I also had Trey Landers. Don't really need to add anything. Uh, Same with Jacob Gillier. Those guys just both are crucial to their team's success, even when the stats don't jump off the page. And then I also had John Axel Goodmanson, who you picked on the second team who didn't quite live up to last season's standard, but it was going to be hard for him to repeat that performance. And overall, even though Davidson wasn't that good, uh, John Axel still had a great season as a senior. Yeah, not really no arguments there. So I, I guess then we'll go into my third team. Um, Hopefully we have some more differences here because so far it's been kind of I'm almost chalky. afraid we I'm kind of afraid we don't until we get to the 15th spot, which I think we're going to have a big difference. Okay. Um my first guy on my third team who almost made second team, Marcus Santos Silva, who was like a first team lock in mid-January. And then everyone just realized that the rest of VCU's offense besides him and Bones was really bad. And that they could just completely construct their defense to try to stop Marcus Santos Silva. And his stats correspondingly suffered down the stretch, but still had an all-conference level impact. Great on the boards, pretty good on defense, and was the one guy that they could rely on on the offensive end. Then my next two were were very easy. Javante Perkins, who I think is going to get snubbed from the real all-conference team, but you just can't discount how important he is to that St. Louis offense. As I've said before, that team just doesn't work without Javante Perkins out there providing the floor spacing and slashing that he does. And then Marcus Weathers. And it's a shame. Three guys got punished on my ballot because of injuries, basically. We already talked about Langevine, the injury really kind of hurting his defensive player of the year case. And the other one being Blake Francis, who I left off of my all-conference teams entirely. And there was just too many good guys at the end. Him missing those six games really hurt him. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and so then uh, my other all-conference lock being Marcus Weathers. Absolutely Duquesne's best and most important player this year. He is really one of the true matchup nightmares of this conference, just in the fact that he's so powerful for a, a guy of his speed level that there's really very few super unique power forwards in this conference who can deal with him. The whole reason I bumped him down to third team from second and possibly from even first team consideration is that with the conference just being so good and having so much great top end talent this year, I had to unfortunately punish Weathers a little bit for his inconsistency. And I think a lot of it is the fact that, yeah, his leg was clearly messed up down the stretch and that's why he wasn't the same guy the last few weeks, but he had one or two pretty bad duds early in conference season two. When you look at like the UMass game where Duquesne got absolutely pounded inside and Weathers was nowhere to be found. And so, yeah, I mean, Marcus Weathers had an incredible season, but I ranked him a little lower. I think, I think this is where me watching every single Duquesne game actually kind of hurts Weathers because you did see the moments where Marcus Weathers wasn't there and you saw a little bit more of the bad if you were really locked into those games. And then after that, my final two spots. Um, so a, a quick, quick apologies to a whole bunch of guys, Blake Francis, Asuna Shunahi, uh, AJ Wilson. I'm sure I'm missing one or two that were in consideration. Um, but for me, the final two spots came down to three guys. I ended up putting on Ryan Daly. I get it. St. Joe's stunk, but Daly was fantastic all year long. And not only the scoring, but he's a pretty good defender and he's a great rebounder. The 15th spot, I went back and forth so many times. I went with sincere carry over Hassan French. And at some point I had to just hit save and send the ballot out because I was going to keep flip-flopping. Both really great players. Both are central to the way their teams want to operate. Both are great defenders, too. And for me, it just ended up being that Carey's more versatile, and he impacts the game in more unique ways than French does. He's the table setter for Duquesne. He's the one who gets guys like Marcus Weathers and Michael Hughes into great positions so often, whereas French is kind of just like the central cog in the SLU system whereas Carey takes on more of kind of the role that, say, like Jordan Goodwin does for St. Louis. Okay, so we, we had a couple differences here, which is good. The first spot wasn't. I also had Marcus Santos Silva as my first guy on the third team. As disappointing as VCU was, Santos Silva still had a great season, and he was even able to improve on last year's surprising breakout season, so he was still great this year. I wanted to go with another St. Louis guy, and I actually ended up with Hassan French. I just felt like as great as Javante Perkins was, and as important as he was, you look at his stats, and outside of scoring a ton of points, he really didn't do quite as much. And I felt like Hassan French went from just an okay offensive player to a pretty good one this year. And when you add in his defense and rebounding, to me, he was an all-conference type player. I had Kellen Grady for Davidson, who I feel like he's kind of a guy that gets lost with Davidson also being disappointing this year, but 
I actually think he might have been better than he was last year when he was on the first team. His stats across the board are very similar, although he shot a slightly higher three-point percentage. And in conference play, he was over 40%, so he's a guy that I just couldn't leave off. I had Kyle Lofton on my third team, who you had on your second team. And he's a guy that, even though I picked him lower than you, I feel like he always just gets a little bit underrated in the A-10 community. In my last spot, I went with Jeff Dowden for Rhode Island. Even though Rhode Island kind of stumbled down the stretch, they still had a great season, and I wanted to put two roadie guys on the all-conference teams. And Dowden's just one of those guys. You talked about it in the Super Senior section, but he just does a little bit of everything. I think he's improved as a defender. He can knock down the big shot when he needs to. And overall, I feel like he's able to slow down Rhode Island's offense when Fats kind of speeds it up too much on occasion. So it was really tough to leave off Ryan Daly. His counting stats are so impressive. But at the end of the day, I wasn't sure if he would be able to replicate that on a good team. And I feel like part of it just has to do with him accumulating so much volume on an awful St. Joe's team. So it was tough to leave him off. And then the other guy for me, Oshun Oshuniyi, St. Bonaventure was just so much better when he was on the court. Unfortunately, the injury cost him a little bit. And overall, St. Bonaventure's defense, too, as a team, it wasn't as good as it was last year. And overall, I, I just felt like him missing those games and not being a super high-volume scorer plus St. Bonaventure's kind of underwhelming defense as a team this year, I just couldn't kind of, I couldn't quite find a spot for Oshun on my third team. But overall, I don't really have any issues with your picks. I, I thought they were all pretty fair. Yeah, for me, I, a lot of the guys who just missed were just a lack of really kind of overall impact, whether it was Jeff Doughton just not making a huge impact in every game, uh, Kellen Grady or Blake Francis not making a huge impact on the defensive end, or as soon as Shunahi not making as big of an impact on the offensive end. And I, I tried to focus on well-rounded players, and that's how I ended up putting on Ryan Daly, despite the fact that his team stinks. Mm-hmm. Is yeah, if you put him on a better team, his scoring numbers are absolutely not the same, but he could still really impact the game as a point guard, as a rebounder and as a defensive player. And I think guys like Daly tend to be the ones who get really overvalued in these conference teams because they just score a ton. But for mm-hmm. me with Ryan Daly, he he's he impacts the game all over the place, and that was enough for me to put him in. One more guy I want to talk about that I think there's almost no chance he gets selected, but I was really close to giving him a vote. I thought Tyrese Martin for Rhode Island, just had an unbelievable season. And I also considered him for most improved. He's a guy that has turned into an excellent rebounder as a wing. He's improved his shooting over the course of the season. I wanted to find a spot for him, but I just couldn't quite do it. It was a competitive year, as you noted. But he was just another guy. And then I guess Blake Francis, too. We both left him off. He had a great season, but missing those six games just hurt him too much for me. Yeah, really, I three guys got sadly punished because of injury. Langevin in the Defensive Player of the Year voting, Francis for all-conference team, and Weathers for not ending up on a better all-conference team. Just 
all three guys got hampered by injuries, and it, unfortunately it really hurt them. Yeah, so we will see what happens. The actual results will get released this week for the coaches, and then we will release our own results too for our media poll. One thing I'm kind of nervous about, the women just put out their all-conference teams with six people on each team, which the two of us aren't crazy about that. I don't know. I'm kind of hoping... Not crazy that, about it. It's stupid. Yeah, I'm hoping that doesn't happen for the men, too, but I kind of feel like they're, they're gonna going to be consistent. Yeah. This is why we have to do this. I know. Anyone <laughs> wants to know why the media poll exists now? For two reasons. Number one, because they're going to idiotically put six guys on the all-conference teams. There's five guys on a basketball court. Number <laughs> two, just actually sit down and think about it. These coaches are supposed to vote for awards like three days before their conference tournament game. You really think they're going to take this seriously? Why would they? They, sh- they absolutely shouldn't. No. And by the way, they also don't think about this. And us as media members spend way too much time uselessly thinking about this. So <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I don't blame that the is the onus any. behind this year's A10 Media Awards coming out Monday. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to blame the coaches too much. They have more important things to do. If Kelvin Grady makes the first team again, I'm probably quitting the podcast. Though I was upset about that last year, and I'd be even more upset now. Like nothing against him, but I don't know. I'm just scared something like that's going to happen again. Well, well, so there is a version of this that's going to happen, but for that, we'll we'll close it out with our final segment. I think this was your idea, oh, so I'll yeah. let you lead us in. Okay, so this goes back to the Dayton versus Rhode Island game this week where the announcer was just... So everybody does this on TV, and it's ridiculous, but this guy was just hyping up the A-10 so much, so much so that he called it a Power 8 conference, and he was trying to say... Oh, in football, it's the Power Five, but that doesn't matter in basketball. So, anyway, I want to call this segment the Power Eight Hot Take. So, Tyler, do you want to start us off with a hot take, or do you want me to go? Yeah, so I'm actually not even sure this is a hot take, as opposed to it's just a controversial prediction. And so my my hot take is that when the Coaches Awards come out on Tuesday, Jacob Gilliard will be higher on the all-conference teams than Grant Golden. And I think this is a great test of my theory that the A-10 awards are very much voted on by reputation. Mm-hmm. Kellen Grady making first team last year. Because either these coaches are rushing through it or they're making their assistants rush through it. Because, once again, they have way more important things to be doing right now. And so I, I think a guy like Jacob Gilliard, who was easily going to end up first team a few months ago, was preseason first team. And is still a pretty good player. I think that's the exact profile of someone who ends up on the coach's vote first team. As opposed to a guy like Grant Golden who, let's face it, if you're a team like Rhode Island who played Richmond really early in the conference season before they made these adjustments, you might not – David Cox might not have seen very much of Golden ever since Richmond really kind of turned into this new offense. So my hot take is – these awards are going to follow a, a lot closer to the preseason awards than to the media awards. And that'll involve Grant, Jacob Gilliard making first team over Grant Golden. It'll involve Ashunahi French and Surreal Langevin making all defensive team with Jacob Gilliard and Fats Russell. That'll be the exact five. Um, yeah, that's, that's my hot take there. All right. I, I like it. Um, 
And I think part of it, too, if you look at their overall stats, I think Gilliard and Golden are a lot closer. But it's just that within conference play, I think we both agree Golden was just flat out better. So that was my reasoning for picking him. But no, I agree. A lot of it is reputation-based. So my, my Power 8 hot take, and I guess part of this isn't that hot, a lot of people have strong feelings about LaSalle's presence in the Atlantic 10. But I'm not sure if you saw UMass celebrating in the locker room after they beat LaSalle at the Tom Gola Arena. But their visitor's locker room is a joke. Like, it was like a middle school locker room. Some of the taller guys for UMass looked like they could barely fit in the room. So my hot take is just that the A-10 needs to do an audit or like a quality control check of all these teams to make sure they're like putting enough resources into their program. Because I feel like if we're truly one of the eight best conferences, what LaSalle's locker room situation is, that's unacceptable. So go back. I mean, we retweeted it a while back. The, the locker room's just unacceptable, I think. And I'm not saying anything about LaSalle's quality in terms of their basketball team. Because they were okay. I mean, they got 10th this year. That's fine. But their facilities, man, that when you, I'm not saying you need to pour millions of dollars like Dayton did this last year with a full-scale renovation of the arena. But just do a little bit better. That's all I'm asking. So, I don't know. I saw that video of UMass. And I'm just like, really? That's a Division One locker room? That just seemed ridiculous to me. So, here's my big question after seeing that video. Do they have doors on the stalls in there? I doubt it. I don't know. Because I've been to some locker rooms before. Um, inside reference for any Duquesne fans who grew up in the Whippiola, Carlinton, all of their facilities. Um, you, you go, to, you get to some locker rooms sometimes where the stalls are just separated by like a small brick wall and there's no door on them. Yeah, it's... I mean, maybe we couldn't see the whole room in that video, but it looked tiny. I mean, the whole team could barely fit in there, it seemed. So, I know we make fun of Tom Golga Arena a lot. I mean, there's a swimming pool on the floor below the basketball court. So, (laughs) it's not great, but man, I just, I feel like, seriously, the A-10 should be one of the premier mid-major conferences. And I don't think we should be okay with that. That was kind of ridiculous, I thought. But I don't know. I'm not sure if the conference or anybody actually cares. I just couldn't believe that. But whatever. Yeah, so uh, anything else to add before we officially close the door on the regular season? Not much, man. I'm just, I'm so excited to get to Brooklyn. The last time I was at the A-10 tournament, there were only 12 teams in the conference. And St. Joe's went undefeated, so it's been a really long time for me. And I'm just so excited to see all these teams in person. Should be a lot of fun. Looking forward to meeting a lot of A-10 fans, too. And it should just be a great week coming up. Yeah, so with that, you'll you lead me in. Um, the plan for this week, be sure to tune in. We will be dropping um, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. We will have some some shorter pods for you guys, probably in the 30 to 40 minute range. Make them a little quicker, make them a little bit easier to digest. Uh, we'll have some great guests from around the A10 media coming on. And then we'll have our big conference tournament wrap up, NCAA NIT tournament preview coming for you on Sunday. 
So before, be sure to keep an eye out for those. As always, uh, give us some, give us five stars and a review on iTunes. Uh, I know we got a new review within the last few weeks. Thank you to whoever sent that. Um, and if you're around in Brooklyn, uh, come find us and say hi. All right. Sounds good. Should be a fun week coming up. And someone's going to cut down some nets. Absolutely. <laughs>